This is the message from Connection Community Church for this Sunday, October 26th, 2014. Opposites distract me versus we. So, me versus we. That's our focus this morning as we wrap up our series, Opposites Distract. Good morning, Connection Church. My name is Carrie Jones. I'm Alan Jones. And we are two sinners who have been saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with us, please? God, thank you so much for today. It's a day that you made, a day that you thought of long ago, and it's no accident that any one of us are here today. We get to hang out with you and with one another. Thank you, Lord. We come with all of our stuff, all of our baggage, everything, and... Lord, I pray that each one of us is filled with a message from you and that we are able to leave a little bit lighter than we came in with. Um, Lord, thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. Everybody gathered said, amen. amen. Okay, so here's how it works. We, um, we come into the world alone, right? unless you're like a triplet or a uh, uh, twin or something like that, but still, I guess it's one at a time. So we kind of come in alone, and, and we go out alone. We leave the world alone. We accept Jesus as our Savior, our salvation. It's kind of an individual thing. No one can do it for you. You can't do it for anybody else. And, and so it would seem that we're on our own kind of a me world. And yet, in between the coming and the going, intertwined with our saving grace from Jesus Christ, our salvation, over and over and over again in Scripture, we're told that life is, is, is anything but a me thing, that this life is all about we. We in the sense of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We in the sense of a relationship with those around us. It's, it's not about me, but it's all about we. So today we're going to look at a scripture found in the Old Testament in the book of Micah. Micah's kind of hard to find, but it's in kind of the middle of the Bible. You might need to look in the table of contents. It's only a few pages. We're going to look at chapter 6 in Micah. It's a wonderful section all about we. Now, a little background on Micah. Micah was a prophet. A prophet is someone who God appoints to be to give God's message, and oftentimes it wasn't a feel-good message, but it was something that God needed to tell God's people about in the form of um, chastisement. Now, Micah lived approximately from 737 to 696 B.C. That's before Christ. So Micah the prophet was given a message from God to share with God's people about the future destruction of Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem is like the holy city, the Mecca, (coughs) and um, also the destruction of the surrounding areas. That was definitely not good news. God used Micah to express sharp disapproval. Another word we use is rebuke. Micah needed to, on God's behalf, rebuke God's people for their dishonesty and for their idolatry. What that means is that they were worshiping little gold things and cows and all that instead of the one true God. So they had idols 
And he also prophesied about the future Messiah, Jesus. Jesus, who would be born in Bethlehem. So Micah had a big job. So in chapter 6 of this book, Micah, the Lord shares with the people through, through the prophet, through Micah, how they've turned their backs on God and on their neighbors. And God reminds them that he's looking for more than just empty sacrifices to make amends for the wrongdoing. In other words, you can't just go out and do what you're not supposed to and then think that this little sacrifice, oh, I'll just do the sacrifice and then go back and forth. That's, that's not really how the plan works. Because, see, God wants to be in relationship with them and with us. For, and he wants them to be in relationship with not only God, but with those around themselves. And so through the prophet Micah, God reminds the people of God, what God does want from them. And this is what he says. The prophet says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What does the Lord require of you? Say the rest with me. To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let's um, first of all look at the second line. What does the Lord require? That does not sound like an option. That does not sound like, oh, you might be able to just do this kind of sort. Require means we need to do it. So let's um, start with acting justly. You know, at first when we look at this, it seems kind of simple, but it's kind of uh, not to act justly. Justice. The Hebrew word for justice is mishpat. Say mishpat. mishpat. So now you talk Hebrew. <laughs> what does mishpat mean? <laughs> justice. Okay. So in this case, mishpat uh, occurs in several, like over 200 times in scripture. And in his article, What is Biblical Justice, written by author and preacher Tim Keller, Keller shares that this is one of the Bible's most misunderstood terms. Misunderstood terms. Basically, it means to treat people equitably, punishing or acquitting those, uh, acquitting on the merits of the case you know, like a judge, uh, punish or set free, regardless of who they are, regardless of what people believe, regardless of how they live. But it really means so much more. It means giving people what is rightfully theirs, whether it is punishment or protection. So in his article called What is Biblical Justice, Keller points out that throughout the Old Testament, when we find this word mishpat used, we especially find it applied to certain classes of people, widows, orphans, immigrants, and the poor. It's known as the quartet of the vulnerable. These are the people that God cares for over and over and over again in scripture. And since God cares for them, God calls us to care for these people as well. Now, in that pre-modern, agrarian, rural, farming society, these four groups had absolutely no social power. 
They barely got by and were constantly only days away from starvation, depending on the situation. Today, that group of the vulnerable, we would expand to include the refugee, the immigrant worker, the homeless, and many single parents and elderly people, according to, uh, to Keller. Mishpat then reminds us that we are all in this together, kind of like that movie clip we had, right? When all, when one uh, triumphs, we all triumph. When one fails, we all fail. And uh, that's a very important thing for us to remember. God calls for us to care for the people who are vulnerable because God cares for them. And we are the extension of God, aren't we? We're God's hands and feet. And so justice, social justice, not only calls um, for us to see that all people are treated fairly, but that we treat all people fairly, especially those who are vulnerable, who can't stick up for themselves, that we treat people with compassion, especially those on the fringe who don't have a voice. So that's why uh, CCC, there's a lot of things we do. For example, we send money on a regular basis to a pastor friend of ours. His name is Koshi. He's in New Delhi, India. We send money to help him and his family with their daily needs. He's working like three, four jobs. We can send him some money so he doesn't have to work at many jobs so he can focus more on ministry. We also help them buy the land to build a school on. So we send money to, for milk for these kids in the school. It's incredible the difference in the face of a child when they give them milk and you give them Jesus. <laughs> it makes all the difference in the world. You know, it's why we're part of the United Methodist Church. Um, part of the reason we uh, financially um, uh, support that church at large through something called the apportionment. It's, uh, it's our piece of the action, so to speak, that we contribute so that in times of need and crisis, when there's an emergency, they're ready to, to move in to help in those times. A lot of little churches together can do some really big stuff around the world when we put our monies together through the United Methodist Church. It's why we every year have a 5K. We're going to have one again uh, next year to help to raise some money to buy mosquito nets to protect people, uh, especially at this point in Africa, from mosquitoes that carry malaria, that deadly disease. It's why we were talking earlier about filling shoeboxes and sending them to the other side of the world so a kid can have a gift and hopefully, you know, that brings joy, but also would help bridge it so that they'll get to know the joy of Jesus Christ and know that gift <coughs> as well. It's why we're going to have several more opportunities the closer we get to Christmas, opportunities for all of us to share with those who are in need, opportunities to share what we have with the most vulnerable, as we were saying. It's, it's why we encourage you to fill food bags. There's some, as you come in, there's these bags with a picture on the front of what to fill it with, so that when somebody stops in the office, like a young guy did the other day, we can just hand them a bag. We don't have to ask them a gazillion questions, fill out 15 forms, just hand them a bag and say, you know, feed your family. The other day, I went to the cabinet and there weren't any bags of food, and that was that was tough. I, I, there were some in canned goods in the garage and some, but it wasn't quite the same. I encourage you, if you can, grab a bag, fill it, and bring it in, because it's so nice when somebody stops in just to be able to say, here you go, feed your family. 
you know. See, here's the thing. God has provided us with enough food and enough resources for the world. There, there's enough food in the world for everybody to be fed. There's enough resources for everybody to have what they need. So it's not a resource or a food problem, it's a distribution problem. It's a distribution. Our challenge is the equitable distribution of what's here. Pastor Tim Keller, whose church is in Manhattan, he takes this even further when he talks about mispot or justice. Now, according to Keller, and this is pushing the envelope, it might make people uncomfortable, but he's saying that this kind of justice would also include such things as prosecuting uh, someone who harms or batters or hurts someone else or robs or put pressure on certain departments to uh, not just so that there's equitableness across the way. I, we don't like to talk about this stuff, but things are not always equitable. He might mean to form an organization that prosecutes and seeks justice for those loan companies that take advantage and prey on the poor and the elderly. We just want to do this kind of thing, but all this happens out there, doesn't it? Mm. So Mishpat, say it again. Mishpat. Oh, you're good. Justice, then, is so much more than just an idea of fairness, than just getting the punishment or the protection that one deserves. In the words of Jim Wallace from his article, How the Bible Understands Justice, he says, justice and righteousness are interconnected in God's eyes. A community of faith, that would be us, a community of worship is right in God's eyes when its members are daily working for justice in the world. Not just in the time of Micah, but today as well. Justice is an act of worship of God. Justice means putting things right again. Fixing, repairing, restoring broken relationships. And so a question for you in relationship to that is, what relationships in your life need to be put right, fixed, repaired, restored? Back to our scripture, what does the Lord require of you? Let's read it. To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. To love mercy. The Hebrew word for mercy is, I can't say it right, so you can say it. Well, it's got this like, the, the H is like a, and, and I have trouble making that sound, but maybe you can say when chesed. It's like you're coughing something up there, and I have trouble coughing it up, you know. Okay. <laughs> say so one more time. Wait, 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 we're going to get this Jewish thing, this lesson right. Say chesed. Very good. That <laughs> sounds like because a sneeze. The person in front All of you right. might have to wipe off there or whatever. Okay, so as uh, true anytime we translate from one language to another, there is no one word in English for this word, hasid. And so we use this word mercy. And another way to translate this, another understanding of hasid is loving Kindness. Hmm. Say loving kindness. Well, that's that's easier. a bit easier, isn't it? Say hesed. 
There you go. Hesed. It's the steadfast or never-changing mercy, the steadfast love that God shows to us. And, you know, it can keep a, a relationship together no matter what happens. According to an online article from the Taizé community, since God's story with God's people includes broken promises, not on God's part, but on our part, and new beginnings from nearly the, you go back, uh, I think it's the third chapter of Genesis, starts the broken promises. You know, this hesed, this mercy, this loving kindness, almost from the beginning has had to include forgiveness. In order for God to be merciful for us, God must forgive. And so if we're going to be an extension of God, if we're going to be an extension of God's mercy, then we've got to be able to forgive as well. This mercy, this loving kindness in many ways reminds us of a word that we use called grace. Say grace. Grace, absolutely. Grace is the unmerited, unconditional love that God has for every one of us. Unconditional and unmerited. Now, in both cases, the case of grace and mercy, we benefit not because we deserve it, but because of who God is. In both cases, even though we may be faithless, God is always faithful. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. God is always faithful. And therefore, God continues to be merciful and graceful in spite of our own thoughts, in spite of our actions, in spite of our rejection of God. God still is faithful, merciful, and grace-filled toward us. Mm. And so grace and mercy go hand in hand. They're, they're the same yet different. It's kind of like uh, getting to the same point from different directions. They, they both have to do with deservedness or not. See, grace is getting something good that you didn't deserve. Mercy is not getting something that's not so good <laughs> that you do deserve. Let me say that again. Grace is getting something good that you don't deserve, while mercy is not getting something not so good that you do deserve. I'll give you a couple examples. Grace. It was through grace that I received a full fellowship to Wesley Theological Seminary, a full fellowship so that my, my costs were covered. And, and it wasn't because I deserved it. It wasn't because I, I merited it. There was no reason. It was just through the grace of God and the grace of whoever made those decisions at Wesley Theological Seminary that I was given that wonderful gift of a seminary education. Now, on the other hand, I'll share a story. I shared, I think, talking this was grace, but it's actually a story of mercy. I think I've shared this before. When we were in Seaford, I had a really bad habit. I I put my foot really on the gas too much in the car. And, and as a result, I had a very nice collection of, of, um, of notices telling me that I had exceeded the posted speed limit. I paid a lot of fines. I was, I was we. really the- It's a way we pay. The way, the way, yeah. And, and, uh, and in fact, I think I'd already had the fatherly talk from the guy over at the motor vehicle, you know, where he told him, Jen, it's 
probably called like, me get son, my you know? hat on. and uh, told me how close I was to being really in really, really serious trouble. So, so anyway, one day I'm in a parking lot, and I'm about to get in the car, and I realized I'd forgotten to pick up my daughter, Devin. I mean, she's some, and I'm, I'm late. So I jump in the car, and of course I'm rushing to get her because I don't want her to think I don't love her. And the police officer, of course, pulls me over, and it's like, oh my gosh. Unbelievable, I can't believe this, because oh, I really couldn't do another ticket. You ever heard the expression, throw yourself on the mercy of the court? I threw myself on the mercy of a police officer, literally. He came up to my car, I said, I still can't believe I said this, he probably couldn't believe it either. I said, officer, I know I was speeding. I, I, when you look up my record, you're gonna find it's terrible. It's a horrible record. I, I have a lot of tickets on there. There's absolutely no reason for you to do what I'm gonna ask you to do, but I'm gonna ask you anyway. If there's any way in the world you could see it possible to not give me a ticket today, I would appreciate that. <laughs> so it takes my license and registration, of course goes back to the car, and it seemed like an hour, of course, probably because he was printing out my record. <laughs> and, and, and he come back to the car and hands me my license and registration, and I don't have the exact, but something like, uh, you need to slow it down, have a nice day. I mean, I, I was sitting there, I, I couldn't believe it, thinking I should have tried this before. <laughs> but <laughs> I couldn't believe it. You know, there was no reason, absolutely no reason, for, for him in his right mind to do that. There was no justification, and yet somehow on that particular day, I got the mercy from that police officer, that's mercy, that's Hesed. Unbelievable. And that's what God does with us. Mm. Every single one of us, God offers us grace by offering us the free gift of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, even though we don't deserve it. God offers and shows us mercy again through Jesus by not giving us what we deserve. We are sinners, and we actually deserve eternal separation from God, but God loves us so much that he doesn't want any of us to be separated from him. That is mercy. God offers us mercy, loving kindness, and calls us, because we are given mercy, we are called to extend mercy to others. Mm. So Pastor Laurie and Dave went on vacation this past week. They were in Florida, and, uh, and they were traveling back yesterday. Well, when we write the message, uh, we always have several people kind of look at it, give us some feedback, and Laurie's one of those people. So being on vacation isn't going to get her out of having to do that. So, so I sent it to her on the road. I put it in a form so she has to look it on her cell phone, right? Yeah, the old PDF, it works. So anyway, um, um, I sent her the message, and, and then... Um, she wrote back later on that um, was interesting because after she read it, they stopped for breakfast. And, and the place where they stopped, the, the waitress messed up the order. And, and, and you know, when that happens, um, you know, it can be real easy to let that really just take over, right? Just get the better of you and just actually end up ruining your time 
which then makes you want to ruin the waitress's time. And, um, and, and, and instead, instead of doing that, Laurie and Dave chose to show mercy. And, and here's what she wrote to us. She said this. She said, the whole tone of our meal and conversation changed by being merciful in this minor first world problem. You know, we talk about third world problems of starvation, first world problem of messing up a little order at breakfast in a restaurant, right? I love the way you put that, by the way. What we noticed was that even extending mercy in the small things makes a difference. It made me think of how many times in life we get caught up in the small things thinking we're entitled when what really, what's really needed is mercy. Mishpat and Chesed, justice and mercy are only possible when we're in relationship with one another and it makes sense because it's about we, not me. And that's God's plan. We, not me. And that's what the Bible's all about. Our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. Love God, love each other. We preach that, we talk about it almost every single week. We're reminded of a story in Genesis, that's the first book of the Bible, chapter 4. A story um, that we find a guy named Cain, he's in a fit of jealousy, and he kills his younger brother named Abel. That's it. When the Lord asks Cain where his brother is, he replies by saying, am I my brother's keeper? Well, the answer to that question, anybody know the answer? Yes, we are our brother's keepers. We are our brother's keepers. Okay, so who is our brother? Who is our sister? Everyone. Say everyone. Everyone. Each and every person around you, each and every person who you meet. That's who our brother and sister are. So what does the Lord require of you? Hmm. Say, uh, say with me, to act justly and, and to, to love mercy and, and to, to walk, walk humbly with, with our, our God. your God. To walk humbly with your God. It's a guy named Charles Spurgeon. Have I heard of him? He's a preacher, like a really, really, really good, good, good preacher. I mean, we're still talking about him over 100 years later. This is back in 1880. He was known as the Prince of Peach Preachers. He addressed this scripture we're talking about this morning in a message called Walking Humbly with God. And in that message, Spurgeon pointed out that walking humbly is crucial if we are to act justly and to love mercy. To walk humbly with God means that we are not we not only recognize that we not only recognize that God is real, but that God is near. Spurgeon noted that we, we we do not walk with myths or ideas. We walk with a real God. To say we walk with God, He's got to be real. You can't walk with an idea. God must be real in order to walk with Him. To walk humbly means that we have profound deference. We defer to God's will and we joyfully submit to it. To walk humbly means that we put God first and 
realize God's greatness and God's power, that we know that God is in charge, that we are not, that God leads and we follow. To walk humbly means that at all times and all places, we realize that God created us and everyone around us. To walk humbly means that we take a step back, we bow, we put a knee toward God to show our submission to the one true God, the creator of the universe and every living, breathing person. To walk humbly means that we follow and do what God wants us to do and that we are the hands and feet where Jesus with skin on. When we exhibit this humble spirit to those around us, that is living out this scripture in Micah to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. Our deference to God allows us to defer to others. That's big. Our deference to God allows us to defer to others, to do what God tells us to do. And what that means is to do something. So Connection Church, it is time for us to do something. Isn't that the truth? Absolutely. And so our scripture is about justice and mercy and walking in humility with our God. And each one of us can do that in our own little world, in our own sphere of influence. So the question is, what something are you going to do? We pray that you do something, that we're not lazy about anything, that we go out there in the mission field and make a difference. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for this very, very challenging scripture in Micah. And God, I would pray that each one of us would do something. We would make a difference. We'd make a phone call. We'd feed the poor. We'd get a shoebox. We'd fill a bag. We'd be kind when that pushes all of our buttons because of the situation that we would do something for you. God, thank you so much for gathering us here today. Help us keep you first and love one another. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And everybody gathered said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church, please visit our website at connectioncc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash connectioncc. You can also contact our church office at 302-378-7692. Connection Community Church, connecting people with Jesus and the life he offers.